Good morning. Thank you for being with us today here at River Oaks. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Thank you for being here and thank you, uh, Wagi Hakim, for that reading in Arabic this morning. I want to mention just a couple of upcoming things uh, before we get into the message today because at the end of the message we're going to celebrate communion today, so I'll mention those now. We've got coming up on Saturday, October the 22nd, our fall festival from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, keep that date in mind. Just a few weeks away, a great time to meet new people, have fun, uh, fun for all ages, bounce houses for kids, everything's provided, food, no charge for anything. Hope you can join us that day. And then the very next day, October 23rd, that Sunday morning, we'll have our next Discover River Oaks class. This is also a pathway to membership for those who'd like to learn more about our church. We invite you to register for that online. Again, today we're going to celebrate communion. If you didn't get one of these little prepackaged cups on the way in, feel free at any time to go to the back tables where there are plenty of those. Uh, and we'll celebrate communion in about 25 minutes. And then have time of prayer for your needs after the service as well. Well, Pastor West prayed for our students today and the youth retreat that they were on, but um, I was so sorry that our, our youth, most everybody, I guess, got up to campaigns, right? And then you had to turn around and come right back. So it's like lost power. And um, we were so disappointed in that. But I just want to say a word uh, about our students and our youth leaders. We are so proud of them because of the devotion to the Lord Jesus that we see in them, the way they're growing, the way they're serving God. Uh, I just want to say a, a word of thanks to, to our youth leaders and student leaders who work with them, uh, Pastors Brian and Corey and all the adult volunteers. Thank you for investing in our students. They're the next generation. They're the future leaders of the church. And we often pray for them that the words spoken by Peter, as he quoted the prophet Joel on the day of Pentecost, in the last days, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on our sons and daughters, that that would be true for them. We're really proud of you all and so grateful to have you as part of our church. In fact, as we pray for uh, our, our nation and those affected by the hurricane, I'd like to pray for our students once again. So would you join me now? <clears throat> Father, as we're gathered this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want to say thank you for our students. Lord, I know it must have been a, a, a really big disappointment to many to have the retreat canceled when the power was lost to campaigns. But I pray that you would somehow cause everything to work together for their good because they love you and are called according to your purpose. Pour your spirit out upon them, Lord. Equip them with gifts to reach others, to serve and build your church and reach their friends. And we pray they would see your power in their generation. Father, we also pray for those affected by the hurricane throughout our nation, Florida, South Carolina, other places. Lord, would you bring your blessing on the relief efforts? And through the relief efforts, may your great name be honored. Lord, we would not neglect the rest of our world this morning. We think about those in Ukraine. We pray for protection of that nation, for restoration of that nation. We pray for your people in Ukraine and those who know you in Russia as well, that their hearts turn to you and seek you and that the name of Jesus would be magnified in the midst of this conflict and that you would bring peace. 
And now, Lord, we turn to your holy word, to the scripture that you have inspired, and we pray the prayer that the psalmist wrote, open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke gives us such a beautiful picture of the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. My hope is, as we go through this gospel, that the Lord will use it to shape our lives, that we each individually and as a church will become more like Christ, greater compassion for the lost, the needy, the hurting, these things we see in Jesus. Today's passage has a focus on Jesus' return, Jesus' second coming. When people talk about the second coming of Christ, some like to kind of sensationalize that and set dates and this sort of thing. But when Jesus taught about his return, it seems to me that his major emphasis was guiding us in how to be living here and now in expectation of his return. Jesus' focus was not on setting dates. His focus was on how we should live in light of his second coming. Jesus calls his followers, as we see in today's passage, first of all, to be spiritually alert, watchful for his return, to be prepared as if he could come even today. And in Luke 12 and verse 35, we read that Jesus said, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Let me pause for a moment. Dressed for action. What does he mean by that? If you've ever read the King James Version or maybe the New King James Version, it would read like this. Let your waist be girded. What in the world does that mean? That comes from a Greek word that, that conveys the idea of fastening your clothes with a belt. The image is of a person in ancient times, tucking up a long robe under the belt in order to move more freely and quickly. And it's a fairly commonly used image in the Bible. In the Old Testament, we see it with the prophet Elijah. And prophet Elisha tells his servant to, to gather up his garment and run, go, enabling you to move quickly, to respond quickly. And so the, the translation in our English Standard Version, stay dressed for action, is, is right on target. That's exactly what Jesus is conveying. In light of his return, stay dressed for action. There is an urgency to it. And then he adds, and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Keep your lamps burning. What does that mean? In Jesus' time, a wedding feast would be a lengthy affair. A wedding feast could go on for days. One commentator I read said a wedding feast could go as long as a week. They were highlights in the Jewish culture. So the master of the house, having traveled to a wedding feast somewhere, perhaps another town, is returning from that wedding feast. In the days of no electricity, it wasn't right for him to return to a, a, a dark household. The servants was, were to have their lamps ready. And if he came at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., it would be good for them if they were prepared to receive him 
home from the wedding feast. Jesus is simply saying, be prepared. Be ready for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be ready for the master's return because it could happen at any hour. You don't know when it would be. Could be. So be prepared. Be spiritually alert. Be prepared and also be expectant. Being spiritually alert to the coming of Jesus includes expectancy. And Jesus continues with these words. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Now, the master's gone away to a wedding feast several days, maybe in another town, comes home. Blessed are the servants who are awake when he comes. They've got their lamps on when he comes into the house. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and will come and serve them. Now, this is a strange idea. That's not what a master does when he comes home from a wedding feast. The servants are to serve him, not the other way around. What's going on here? Jesus is calling us to be alert, to be awake. But what is with this unexpected twist of the master returning? And then he puts on serving garb and he serves the servants. I think it's pointing us to the fact that Jesus, the Son of Man, came not to be served but to serve. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah a number of times spoke of, of Jesus, the coming Messiah. The Lord spoke of him through Isaiah as my servant. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served but to serve. Jesus himself washed the feet of his disciples. Is it possible that when the great King of kings and Lord of lords returns in all of his glory, that his love is so great for his faithful people whom he has redeemed, whom he has loved, that he would use this image of serving them to refer to his own return? It seems that it is. And blessing is pronounced. Blessing is pronounced on those who are awake. If he comes in the second watch or in the third, in the middle of the night and finds him awake, blessed are those servants, the ones who are ready for his return, the ones who are expectant. And then Jesus goes to a completely different type of image. He says this, but know that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Now, this is not suggesting Jesus is a thief. It's just conveying the idea of the need for expectancy, the need to be expectant for Jesus' return. If you knew a thief was coming, you'd be ready. And then in verse 40, to kind of summarize it, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Jesus' return will be unexpected. And if we have any doubt, then in everything Jesus is saying here, he was, whether he was talking about himself and his return, this should clear it up. Jesus' uh, term, most often used term for himself, was, I believe, the Son of Man. He's talking about his second coming. And he's saying, you must be ready. So Jesus calls us to be spiritually alert, to be watchful, and that includes being prepared and includes being expectant. Like he could come at any time.
Secondly, be faithful in what God has called you to do. I think in, in looking at the New Testament, Jesus' emphasis in talking about his second coming, his return, was primarily on two things for his followers. Readiness, that is spiritual readiness. And secondly, being faithful in doing what God's called you to do. Be faithfully doing what God's called you to do in life. Jesus, again, he's not setting dates. He's calling us to live with spiritual alertness and faithfulness. Theologians use the word eschatology to talk about end times, last things, teachings about the future in the Bible. And I loved what Daryl Box said in the new NIV application commentary on Luke. That's a great commentary, by the way, if you're looking to buy a good Bible commentary on Luke. It said, eschatology in the Bible exists not so much to inform us of the details of the future as to prepare us to serve God faithfully today. Jesus is calling us to be faithful in what God's called us to do. And with that, he gives the promise of reward. And so Jesus says it this way. The Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Now, the, the manager is a reference to the household manager, sometimes referred to in the New Testament as a steward. This is the head servant, the servant over the other servants, the servant whose primary responsibility is the welfare of the other servants, the one who gives them their portion of food at the proper time, sees that things are run well, and he takes care of them. Who's the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant, that wise manager, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And then Jesus says something interesting. Truly I say to you, he'll set him over all his possessions. It's like he's saying he'll get a, he'll get a great promotion for his faithful service. Now what does Jesus mean by this? He's talking about his second coming. He's saying, those who are faithfully serving my people when I return, they're now given a sphere of responsibility and service over which to be faithful that's even greater. You ever thought about what it'll be like in heaven, in God's coming kingdom? Some people think we'll be sitting around on clouds strumming harps, and, and I have to tell you, that sounds really boring to me, and I don't think it's one bit true. Peter, one, on one occasion, the apostle asked Jesus, when he was telling them, you know, Peter said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What's it going to be for us? And Jesus said, in the coming kingdom, he said, you're, you're going to be over the 12 tribes of Israel, you 12. In another parable in Luke about the ten uh, minas, a, a unit entrusted to the servants, the, the one who took one and made ten more, the master came back and said, you're going to be over ten cities. What does all this mean? I don't really know. But I think in the coming kingdom, we will have meaningful, productive, fulfilling responsibilities, work, Service to the Lord 
but without the difficulties and the adversities that accompany our efforts here on earth. Human beings need something fulfilling to do in order to flourish. We're created in the image of God, and God is a great creator. And we're created in His image. I don't know what it'll be like in the coming kingdom, but I, I'm sure we won't be sitting around on clouds learning to play the harp or twiddling our thumbs or getting bored. I think there will be meaningful service to the Lord. And for those who are faithful in their ministry to God's people here, His kingdom work, it seems to me Jesus is saying there's reward. There's very great reward. For faithful service to the Lord in this life. Now, at the same time, while there's promise of reward, there's also the warning of judgment. Often in Jesus' teaching, he conveys uh, the sobering truth about judgment. And he says it this way, but if that servant, and I think he's still talking about the household manager, the one who's over the the other servants, if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not know, does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Wow, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> cut him in pieces? What's he talking about here? This is a household manager who could care less about the master's return, but is self-indulgent, abuses the other servants, abusive, self-indulgent. Judgment will come, and this person will be put with the unbelieving. In my opinion, it's a picture of someone may have a place of influence in the church, but is self-indulgent and abusive of the people of God. It is in the final analysis, not even a believer, but a counterfeit. Now, are there counterfeit Christian leaders behind pulpits, in seminaries, churches? There always have been. There always have been. It was this way in the time of the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He's referring to people who in their boasted mission claim to work on the same terms as we do. In other words, they're coming across just like the Apostle Paul. We're church leaders too. Paul goes on, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants, they're really Satan's servants, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. In other words, judgment will come. And it seems to me that's what Jesus is saying here. Be careful who you listen to. 
Jesus goes on. By the way, Judas Iscariot was in that crowd as Jesus was teaching. And I think he provides us an example of someone who really was not a believer, really was not saved. But he was right in the middle of things with the apostles. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know, that is, did not know the master's will and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now, this is a difficult passage to really understand and apply, but it seems to make the point that there are more severe and less severe degrees of judgment. And I take that to mean judgment in eternity. That, that knowledge of God's truth influences severity of judgment. The more you know, the more you're responsible for. In light of his return, Jesus is calling us to be spiritually alert, be prepared, be expectant, be living like he could return today. And he's calling us to be faithful in what God has given us to do. And in this particular passage, he seems to have an emphasis on the proper care and treatment of his other servants, the people of God, proper care for them, ministry to them. So it raises um, some questions, I think, for us as we reflect on this uh, somewhat challenging passage, I think. And the first I'd raise is this, what, 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 what hinders what hinders our readiness for Jesus' return? I'd like to suggest some things that can hinder our readiness for Jesus' return. We could come up with a hundred things, I'm sure, uh, throughout the whole Bible, but I'd like to focus just on Luke chapter 12. Just on Luke chapter 12, the immediate setting of these passages we're seeing in Luke. We were in Luke 12 last week. We're in Luke 12 again this week. I think sometimes it's important to ask ourselves, we're studying the Bible. Why did the Holy Spirit guide Luke to put these teachings in this particular order in which we find them in Scripture? Sometimes uh, we find clues to, to understanding a passage in its broader context. And so looking just at Luke chapter 12, what are some things that can hinder our readiness for Jesus' return? Some things we've, we've been taught in this chapter. Number one, fear of acknowledging Jesus before others. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus said, I tell you, do not fear those who kill the body. After that, have nothing they can do. He went on to say, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before, my, before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. That's a, that's a strong and sobering statement. Maybe you find it difficult to let people around you know that you're a Christian. Jesus says, is saying, confess me before men, and I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. I'll acknowledge you before the angels of God. Be sure you're not afraid to let it be known that you're a follower of Jesus. 
Number two, covetousness. If you were here last week or watched the service online, you know, we talked about the parable Jesus gave of the rich fool who filled up all of his barns for himself, indulging himself only, no thought of God, no thought of other people, no thought of using the resources with which God had blessed him, and he died just like that, went right into eternity, and God said that man was a fool. Covetousness, greed, can keep us being, from being ready for Jesus' return. Number three, anxiety, the worries of daily life. I expect this is a temptation for all of us, certainly is for me, but Jesus is calling us to trust God for these things. He's setting the bar high for his followers, not for human effort, but for trust, trusting God. The fourth one is spiritual complacency. As we look at the passage we're in today, that, that would refer to people who are not dressed for action, whose lamps are not burning. They're not giving any thought to, to Jesus' return. They're not giving into any thought to, to living with some kind of urgency for his purposes and doing his will, faithfulness in what he gives us to do. And then finally, bitterness, unresolved resentment towards someone. You may say, where in the world did you get that? in Luke chapter 12. Well, it's not a part we've studied, but it's at the very end of the ch chapter when Jesus says, as you, as you go with your accuser to the magistrate, magistrate, try to settle on the way before you have to come before the judge. And I take that to mean, get your relationships right. It's one of the things we like to consider as we take the Lord's Supper, which we'll do in a few minutes. Um, make sure... We're not harboring resentments, unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred toward any other person. Things that can hinder our readiness for Jesus' return. But thinking about it more positively, how can I be ready for Jesus' return? How can I be ready for Christ's return? First, seek ongoing spiritual growth. Never, ever, ever stop growing up until your dying breath, growing to know God better, growing to, to love him more. Never stop. Spiritual complacency is a challenge for every one of us. I can tell you it's a challenge for me. Very easy to become complacent, apathetic about our growth. We cannot work up zeal on our own. The Lord doesn't want us to try. The way our zeal and love for God grows is by humility, humbling ourselves before God, saying, God, I, I need you. I need the Holy Spirit to work in my life. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates growing love for God. The love of God, Paul writes, is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. As we yield control of our lives to him, he changes our desires. As the, the song we sang a bit earlier, he changes what we see and what we seek. So the key to greater spiritual zeal is seeking to be filled with, led by, controlled by, yielded to the Holy Spirit. Seek ongoing spiritual growth. Secondly, Live with an eternal perspective toward life. This chapter we've studied now for two weeks, Luke chapter 12, is filled 
with references that point to the need to have an eternal perspective toward life. For example, when Jesus talked about um, not fearing those who kill, kill the body, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 5, he says, do fear the one who has the authority to cast into hell. He says, eternity's coming. Beware of this. When he talked in verse 8 about being acknowledged before the angels of God, he's talking about in eternity. When he talked about the rich fool dying and going into eternity, the man was called a fool because he had no eternal perspective about life. Later he tells us to put treasure in heaven. And then he says the Son of Man is coming at a time you do not expect. All this points to the need to live with an eternal perspective the rate of death is 100%. We will all die if Jesus does not return first. And it may be that he'll return far before many of us will die. We don't know. But we should live with preparedness. And then lastly, regularly examine your life. The Apostle Paul calls us to do that before we take communion, doesn't he? That examine yourselves and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Is Jesus really Lord? I'm afraid in the United States of America, there are many people who have a nominal faith, but it is not a genuine saving faith. There are many people who believe in the historical Jesus who even believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Do you know the devil even believes that? In fact, he knows it happened. It's very different from humbling yourself, repenting of sin, turning to him, and receiving him as Savior and Lord. Is he in the driver's seat? Are you seeking to follow him as Lord? Is anything hindering your faithfulness to him? Is there someone you need to forgive? Examine yourself regularly to be ready for his return. Remember that Jesus, our Lord, came to this earth <clears throat> taking a human body upon himself and then at the age of 33 allowed himself to be taken, spit upon, mocked, and crucified. And the Son of God there shedding his blood took the penalty for your sin and mine. He took the judgment as if he were guilty of all. He took our place. He became the sacrificial lamb. And his death and resurrection provided not only our forgiveness, but also freedom from continuing in sin. And I think that's one reason God gives us the Lord's Supper, to celebrate, to reflect often upon this. The, the, the knowledge that there's grace not only that's forgiven all of our sins, but grace to live without being bound by the power of sin. And so today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul writes these words, For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant and my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then Paul gives the warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We're going to partake of communion now. And again, if you don't have one of these cups, our ushers have some in the back. If you look their way and put up your hand or just make your way to one of the tables and, and grab uh, as many as you need of these. Um, before we partake, though, I'd like to do what this passage calls us to do. Take a moment or two to examine ourselves. So would you join me as we pray? Father, as we come in the name of Jesus, we, your people, ask you to make us ready, ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. We ask you to help us to celebrate communion properly, rightly, to examine ourselves as we should. Oh Lord, as we take a, a moment of silence now, speak to us, change us in the ways we need to be changed for your glory. Amen.